Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 37, Work Hard, Play Hard. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse. You could also call me Cypher. You know, it's all good. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Today we have Savan. That's right. All you Ottawa people know Savan, a wonderful TO up in the Ontario region. I'm starting to get a little bit better with Canada but please continue to be patient with me, O oh Canada people, and allow me to continue to be educated on all of the different provinces and regions. And again, we have Savan not only to talk about Ottawa, but also about his melee story. And I'm excited to share that with you. So without any further ado, let's talk about, nope, let's talk with, let's hear this conversation with Savan. Excuse me. And we'll talk afterwards. All right. Talk soon. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Savan. Some of you may know him as Sabre, but we got Savan in the house all the way from Ottawa. Whoop, whoop. Savan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I am curious to know about Ottawa a little bit because I am an uneducated U.S. citizen, the classic American that's like, Canada? What's a Canada? And I have talked with people like Deer, for example, or I've also spoken to Radar before as well about the little isms of Canada. Not that I'm necessarily looking for a big old history lesson here, but have you have you been based up there your whole life? Uh, no. So I was based up there for uh, university when I was doing my undergraduate degree. I went to school up in Ottawa. So as I grew into the game of Melee, I uh, became a TO and kind of ran the scene there for the past uh, three out of my four university years. Uh, I'm born and raised within the greater Toronto area. You know, one of those Toronto people, not to be uh, exact on the geographic location, but I spent uh, most of my time and most of my Melee career up in the nation's capital. Which, so, is, which is Ottawa, right? Yeah, Ottawa. So Ottawa is the nation's capital, um, borders right next to Montreal. So, you know, uh, you think you're far up there in the province of Ontario, but you have Montreal right next door. So you just go over the bridge. And it was great being up there because uh, Ottawa players would go to Montreal events and vice versa. It was a small scene. We were about uh, 60, 70 players, very consistent, very active, very supportive, very wholesome. And I think it was just... A tremendous experience while I was there, but it's kind of sad that uh, my undergraduate degree came to an end and I had to leave the uh, region. So before we get into the present circumstances of you and your relationship with Melee, I am interested to hear about your origin story. How did you first come into Melee? So this is actually a hilarious story, but um, a couple friends in high school said, hey, have you heard of the Smash Club? And I was like, wait, what? And then my... Uh, high school friends are like oh yeah there's a smash club where people play melee and you know every person who's never played competitive melee or doesn't know a thing about competitive melee was like oh my god i was so good at melee when i was six years old or something so that was me so i went to this uh club uh got absolutely destroyed by people playing competitive melee and then i kind of picked it up near the end of high school so i started near the end and then I kind of transitioned and moved to Ottawa. I uh, got to know the Carleton scene first, where I went to school. And then I uh, got involved with the city as a whole. And then uh, somehow turned into a TO. Yeah, because I think that 
the common story of someone who gets into Melee for the first time, and this will be the case for me, hopefully in the near future, going to the first event and you think, oh yeah, pretty good, pretty good, but you just don't know how good you are in your own little world, but as soon as you step into the next the next pond or stream that you find out, oh, there's a lot bigger fish here. And what kept you coming back? Because when you get beat and beat down so hard and you're saying, wow, I, this seems like it's going to take me months just to be able to compete with these people, but you kept going back, why would you say that is? I think it's mainly due to my competitive drive. I find myself a very competitive person and always wanting to do better in life if I stick to something. So I always enjoyed video games. And pre-Melee, I was, you know, your typical uh, Call of Duty nerd. And I always loved the competitive Call of Duty scene. So when I found out about uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee uh, and the competitive side of that and how easy, how much easier it was, in my opinion, than the, uh, than the team-based communities, I kind of got involved and thought I can get better and grow over time and it kind of paid off because uh, sticking to this video game so in your in your experience then you've played enough of call of duty and of melee to be able to answer this somewhat knowledgeably i won't paint you to be the know-it-all expert but what is an easier <laughs> game to play call of duty or melee oh call of duty melee is melee is one of the hardest games to learn the technical aspect the uh, inputs per minute uh, the technical side, the knowledge side, it's a lot It's a lot broader than uh, Call of Duty. Call of Duty is very, uh, you know, one-dimensional, I feel. You know, your movement is very minimal. Uh, you can't really style in any way. It's more so just reaction time and execution. But with Melee, there's this technical aspect that kind of makes the game way more challenging. It opens up way more variables, options, and uh, just keeps your mind going. And you decided to pick up Sheik. What was the decision behind that? Um, okay, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So when I first picked up Melee, when I was like, oh, cool, Smash, I put it out when I was a kid, I played, I picked up Link when I was a teenager, and I was like, oh, cool, Uppy's so good with Big Link. And then uh, I saw this other person, I think his name was Matthew in high school, and he was just moving around with Sheik, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's so cool, maybe I should give this character a shot. And then I picked up Sheik because I saw somebody else play it and she looked sick. Would you say that Sheik is going to be like even unto this day the, the tried and true main? I think that there are stages of the melee metagame where people go, oh, you got a dual main. Oh, you got a solo main. Like it goes back and forth, right? So in your experience, have you just found that the best way to play the game or the most fun or whatever the combination is for you that Sheik is your favorite character? Well, it's a combination of that and a bit of a backstory of how I learned how to play Melee competitively. So um, I am a solo Sheik main and I'll only stick to being solo Sheik main. And for all who don't know, I'm probably a very unorthodox Sheik because I play Melee without short hopping or wave dashing or ledge dashing or doing any advanced tech. I kind of am the new modern day Borp, if you could say. So the way I picked up Melee was I just didn't watch competitive Melee. I never looked into it. I never sat in a room, got a GameCube, practiced. I always just sat in front of a CRT with my friends and just kept playing. And that's how I model myself now. I've never sat in front of a TV. I actually just got into Netplay just because of the Slippy era. But prior to this, I would always just sit in front of a CRT with your homie and just keep grinding out melee until you get better or you become more consistent. 
It's interesting that you would phrase it like that because I think that was definitely how people learned how to play Melee back in the day because there were no SSBM tutorials on YouTube to look up and YouTube wasn't even a thing in 2001. It wasn't a thing until like 2006. So that's what people did. They would just play the game. They would play and they would play and they would play and sure there's smashboards was around people were people were saying on smashboards i don't know this wave dash thing is kind of overrated i don't i don't really think it'll be important tbh <laughs> but for you do you say do you say to yourself i, I want to continue to avoid well avoid might be the wrong word but what is the reasoning behind even after all this time knowing what a top chic level player of someone like spark or plup of what they have to do to be able to keep up with the mangoes and zanes of the world. Are you, is it because you don't aspire to be like a top player or what is the reasoning behind avoiding learning like the higher echelon of advanced techniques? I mean, there's a few variables. One comes into play where it's, you know, breaking old habits. So the way I learned melee, it's nearly impossible for me to change that mentality, that approach, the way I uh, see the game. And then there's also the fact that I don't believe I'll ever be, you know, a pro top 100 player. I 100% doubt that. I'll never commit to it. I enjoy being a tournament organizer much more. But it's just the fact that, you know, I do what makes me happy. And even though Melee is a game about, you know, uh, now the meta is being competitive, uh, being technical, being fast, being uh, punish heavy, winning neutral, etc. It's all about winning and growing and being the best. But what makes me happy is playing the way I play and being consistent in that sense. And it will reward me in the future. So I know I'll never be, you know, this good player, probably get into the master uh, level server of Melee Online. But I feel like my play style kind of acts as a gatekeeper uh, within Melee uh, play style and skill level. Because if you can't beat me then you can't break through this point. This is what I've been framed in my community in Ottawa. In Ottawa, I was always framed as a, as a gatekeeper for uh, making the PR. In order to make the PR, you have to beat the unofficial 11th PR ranked player. That would be you? Well, I wouldn't say I'm like unofficial. I think I was there before the pandemic. I was like really close to being PR'd, but that was the thing because if you were PR'd, even though I was getting better, you would rarely lose to me. But anyone who was under me would never win against me. It's just like super consistent within your skill range. Yes. So that's that's what my uh, gatekeeping uh, presence set for the city of Ottawa. So you would be sort of like not not on the true level of Aklo hidden boss, but if somebody from outside the region came in and was like a mid-level veteran player and being like, yeah, I'm almost ranked in my region, and then they would come, go up against you, they'd be like, Who's this? who is this person? What? This is impossible. How are they beating me? And it's just like, hey, maybe the fundies aren't there. Maybe you were practicing tech skill a little bit too much, huh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's exactly like that because the best part about being frame differently so people know that I'm not technical or anything. It's so deceiving. And then it's also a mental advantage because you get to phase out your opponents. I can't tell you how many times I've phased out, tilted, or made an opponent rage because they're losing to this style of Sheik that doesn't move uh, standing, tilt in place, wall, uh, Borp, Dreffen, Baby-esque uh, play style, you know? So it's very, it's very interesting. And I, and I just, I like it. 
What if you were to become the source of melee discourse on Twitter in the in the regards of like, oh, did you see the Sheik player from Ottawa that beat so and so in this online tournament? And then like Tof makes like a like a breakdown video on his YouTube channel or whatever of like, wow, this is really cool. Despite the despite the fact that there's not a whole lot of shield dropping and that kind of stuff, like this Savan player is like really really good fundamentals and blah 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 like. Do you fantasize about this, or am I just speaking too much into the way that you like to play? No, I think it's not that you're speaking too much into it. I mean, I would I would never object to somebody making a video idolizing my play, even though I think they'd be on drugs for doing that. <laughs> um, I I just you know I don't think about that because I don't think of myself as you know oh I'm going to be the next up and coming top hundred player uh, number one in Canada number one in my region uh, you know. Etc. I just see myself now as a person who just wants to put on good tournaments and work in the melee community within uh, marketing and TOing. And that is exactly what we're going to get to next, where you probably started to get interested in TOing fairly early on, but I would love to hear how early it started for you. How many events did you go to before you started saying to yourself, I could, I could do this. I could be a TO. Hmm. Um, Okay, so I didn't start going to tournaments until I was 18. I started mailing when I was like, I think 16 or 17. And then uh, I didn't go to a single tournament until I was 18. It was the summer right before I went to university. And I went to uh, a few weeklies uh, at my local college, uh, Sheridan College in Oakville. And I would go there maybe, I would say about seven or eight weeklies. And then I went to the Carlton exclusive weeklies and I probably went to about seven or eight of those. So I would say about 15 to 18 tournaments, maybe total within uh, a year and a bit. And then I didn't actually intentionally want to become a TO. It kind of just happened. I wanted to uh, move into a a melee house, get some melee homies, uh, move into a house together and then uh, just give weeklies to the people because it's better than, you know, having a venue and paying venue fee. Or you're the one making the venue fee in this case. But, um, you know, something that saves you a lot of time, money, and effort. So I didn't intend on becoming a TO, but then once I started, I kind of just fell in love with it. It was just more of, like, saying, hey, we're going to do some Smash Fests. Come on over. We'll just play some brackets out. It wasn't necessarily about this whole official thing. Like, let's go find a venue. Let's let's host our own tournament. We could like it was just a more organic process. You would say it, it was or it was organic. It was for the people, by the people, but for my my university, my school, my school homies. Um, from there, I just realized that I could do a lot more than just this small group of people. So that's when I actually became uh, began toing to the whole city of Ottawa. Who were some other TOs in the area who you would say were like either helpful or, or inspirational? Or would you say you would look at like a more of like a national TO like Jekyll Guy or Sheridan? I didn't look at any of those. I I did very minimal research on TOing. I picked up my TOing capabilities from one person in Ottawa, kind of a, a Canadian legend. He's a pretty notable uh, guy. His name is Mario. His tag is HVAC. He's this Ganon and he would TO in the city of Ottawa. He TO'd at this pool hall called Tailgaters. And uh, context was, uh, there was this first Ottawa Monthly at this venue. Uh, it was the first one, everyone shows up, but I wasn't involved in the city yet. 
uh, as a player or a TO, and I had to go drop off uh, something to a friend, and I'm just seeing this guy TO, and I'm just like, wow, look at him go. This guy knows what he's doing. Uh, he has this leadership and uh, charismatic personality to him, uh, and I feel like I could learn something from him. But I never talked to him at all. I just looked and uh, observed what he did. And then from there, I just became my own TO. I don't think I owe any credits to any big TOs, even though I think I could have become a better TO earlier looking at people like uh, Jungle Guy or Aiden. But I actually owe a lot of my uh, TOing credit to HVAC. And it's really cool how you can learn a lot just by observing. It's it's an underrated way to, to, to learn. Of course, a great way to learn also is just to do the dang thing, which you did, which is really cool. So at what point did you say to yourself, oh, I'm I'm like, oh, I'm all about this now. I want to do this for a while. I want to try to make this like a whole thing. Was it after only a few tournaments that you ran in the in the in the in the melee house, or did it take like a, a venue and succeeding in that way, or did you even ever upgrade to finding a venue? When I well, I was upgraded because I came on with the uh, broadcasting organization in Ottawa. We have a broadcasting organization called Streamlands, and the owner Yi Fang, uh, my business partner, he took me on. And then we redeveloped the business to not only be uh, esports broadcasting, but also event organizing. So now we were the center of creating all events for the region. So when I came on, I, uh, the guy, Mario HVAC, he had to step down and uh, go to the military because he was doing HVAC in the military. Uh, and we were losing TOs. So I was given the opportunity to run one of those tournaments and... I ran it and it was just so enjoyable every minute of it. I think that's the day I fell in love with uh, TOing, just running a huge event, meeting new people, uh, being a leader and, you know, just trying to give the community something that makes everyone happy. It's just so satisfying to do. And also being able to live stream and those sort of things as well. Yes. So, uh, so the way our dynamic works with the organization is you have the one, the one person doing the TOing and then the other person on the broadcast. So he would be in charge of all uh, broadcast overlays, graphic designs, uh, etc. And I would be the, uh, the TO and the marketer. And that was our dynamic over the, re over the uh, past three years. Did you ever try your hand at commentary or anything like that? Or did you just say, I, I just want to stick to the TOing stuff? Did you try to like wear more hats as time went along? I feel like when you're a part of a scene, you take on kind of all aspects. Uh, just you have the TO hat as an extra hat. But in reality, because you're in such a small region and everyone's so nice and everyone cares and supports each other, you're not only uh, a competitor, but you're also a commentator. And I feel like that was the case for everyone in the city of Ottawa because everyone would hop on commentary at the weeklies. Everyone would have fun. Everyone would be social. That's really cool. Like, it's not just like a matter of, oh, we got to find our commentary people and just like stick with them. It was pretty much, okay, well, open mic might also be taking it too far, but you weren't, if you wanted to, you could kind of a feeling, right? Our, our weeklies had no structure from a broadcast perspective. It was, you know, you want to come on and commentate? Uh, do you have fun? Uh, you know what you're supposed to do? But when, we would always have structure for our regional tournaments. So we would have our set schedule for commentators, but we left the weeklies more up in the air because it made everyone feel less stressed. 
as time went on, did you find yourself thinking to yourself, ah, wish we could like fly out a player from another region of Canada or from the United States, try to make this more hype? Or did you love the local community so much that you're like, we, we have everything we need right here? So we kind of did that over time. Over the course of the three years, I was able to get everyone except for students say I was able to get Ryan Ford, Moki, and Nunn to come up to Ottawa. Uh, and Coggin Legend from Montreal, that's because they're over the bridge. They're no time at all. Uh, but our biggest tournament, uh, the biggest land in Ottawa is called Frostfire. And one of the uh, reputable people in our community by the tag of Big Old Guy, he uh, personally uh, paid to get Bobby Big Balls to drive down. And this was in the middle of Summit, and BBB was going to drive down and the problem was he got to the border and he forgot his passport. Oh, no. <laughs> and, this was ba- and this was back when he was living in MDBA. So he pulled an all-nighter, was driving over the border to come to Canada, and then he uh, forgot his passport and he had to drive all the way back. But Oh, uh, no. Yeah. But yeah, uh, from an aspect of having uh, other players uh, from the U.S., uh, we were always open to it. But the problem was that it was it was so expensive, and I feel that you know we were more we were more regional, we were more Canadian than we were international. And what are other ways in your experience that you wanted to either grow the scene or to keep it thriving? You know, the, for the people who are there, how to keep them interested and to continue coming back. You had sort of taken the reins from an what seemed to be an already established community, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what were some of the thoughts, what were some of the discussions that you would have as, as you continue to grow in your TOing skills to keep the community going? My one goal was, well, I had two goals, and that was to build the stream. I wanted to gain good following. Uh, I wanted to have consistent viewerships for uh, regional events, regional tournaments, the monthlies. And then I also wanted to get the attention of Toronto. Even though the distance from uh, Toronto to Ottawa is, you know, four or five hour drive, uh, you wanted to intrigue those players and also keep the Ottawa players intrigued because then new players would be coming to compete with them every so often. So that was one of the goals. And then it was also trying to build the, uh, the social media side of Streamlands and kind of highlight and be like a, a Twitter form of Peng Boys where the world can see our clips and our sick combos uh, and see if that could build traction. So then you could put Ottawa on the map and people could think, oh, there's some really heavy hitters in Ottawa. Uh, what if they come to a Gommel or they come to a big house? What's going to happen? And what was it like when you would, okay, so I should back up. Would you like have an Ottawa conglomerate collective go down to Gommel in full force to be like, yeah, we're here. Would there be like regional crew battles at Gommel? I don't know anything about that event in terms of like, <laughs> in terms of how it does brackets aside from the singles bracket. And I would watch maybe like top eight highlights from the most recent Gommel that happened in 2000. Oh, there was a Gommel online last year. Sorry, I should yes. I should rephrase. There was a Gommel 2019, which was the last in-person that was held, which was fun to watch the highlights of that and obviously Mango won, blah, blah, blah. But what was the other part of that tournament like if you were able to attend those, if you want to talk about that a little bit? So unfortunately, I've only been able to attend one Gommel. The other two I missed were sadly because of work and school. Um, but I know that... It's an, it's, it's an unspoken Canadian rule that 
if you play Melee or you play Smash or even the FGC, because they've opened up, they've opened it up to the FGC, you go to Gommel. Everyone goes to Gommel. So there are Ottawa carpools, and everyone from around the country goes to Gommel. So I know there was carpools, and Gommel on the Friday does a uh, regional cruise, and Ottawa's always competed in that. So our city's always active when it comes to going to the super majors in Canada because it's so uh, close. Uh, but I think the community goes out as a whole if they can because it's the closest thing you can get to uh, the biggest melee tournament in the world. And how do you work full-time and do school when you also need to put a lot of conscious thought and effort and time into continuing to maintain a Melee community within Ottawa? Because you're talking about you had to miss out on Gommel, which is like, it is unfortunate. You broke the unspoken Canadian rule two times. That That is unfortunate. But aside from that, there's the 300 and other 60-some-odd days of the year where you have to do work and or school and do TOing. How did you juggle that? Is that something that you feel as if is more of a natural thing for you? You can set aside time for each thing and get it done? Or is it something that you struggle with? In the beginning, it was something that I did struggle with because you're taking on a new uh, a new uh, part of work. Uh, being a TO it takes up some, some of your time. But then you realize how you function as an individual, what you can do optimally, what you need to dedicate more time to, and so on. So over time, I realized that being a TO uh, consists of a lot of structure and coordination. And what I would do is I would try and set up uh, quarters of the year at a time. So uh, Yi Fang and I we would talk about uh, upcoming events. This is the plan for the summer. This is the plan for the winter. This is the plan for uh, first semester of school, second semester of school. And then we would secure everything. And then we would just have to worry about marketing and then the actual uh, setting up of the tournament and then the actual execution. So I feel like my weekends were pretty laid back, except for the times where I was coordinating the next uh, few months. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the summer, we were coordinating all the uh, regional monthlies within the esports arena in Ottawa. And we just had to confirm the dates. Uh, we've already did, done work with them because we go there for the weeklies every Monday. And then all I had to do was do the consistent marketing, the consistent promotion that I do even to this day and what I did with Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup. And then my business partner, he would be on uh, uh, in charge of all the graphic designs, stream overlays, uh, commentators, uh, and broadcast. And I feel like there was so much synergy between the two of us that we rarely needed to speak or have a phone call. It was just the odd Discord message and we were set. And then you just make sure that your schedule is dedicated to those weekends. So you're ready the day before to do changing of seating because people always will reach out and ask for a change in their seat or their pool depending on their schedule. And then the actual day of the tournament, you make sure nothing else is going on in your life. So I feel like after the first year of TOing, uh, it was just, no added stress. It was very, I was very cool, calm and collected. So I can't really complain or say that I was stressed out in any way, shape or form. Does that mean you were even able to enjoy watching top eight of your own events as they happened? Oh yeah. I love that. But normally when I was, uh, when top eight was happening, I would get in my melee cause I know it was very laid back. So, you know, don't play any melee that day, but your homies, they come to the tournament. So I would just uh, sit down, play melee with my friends, and make sure top eight was going smoothly because top eight's kind of a, a breeze because everyone knows what they're doing in top eight, and there's you don't really need to micromanage anyone. 
Right, and then maybe there's the occasional semi awkward moment where it's like, "What did you see that? Did you see that?" And you're like, "Oh, I was, I was, I was playing melee at the moment at that exact time." But yes, very cool. Yes, yes, you did. Yes, the thing. I saw that. That was a great combo. Yes, <laughs> I know that happens way too often. That's a that's a common TO occurrence. You just you look away, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, did you see that?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I always lie. Not gonna lie. Anytime somebody says, "Did you see that?" I always lie to them. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of an SNL skit of uh, it was like Chance the Rapper acting as a as a character who's like a, a news reporter who's supposed to do a completely different sport than the news reporter is supposed to do. And it's like, I, yep, I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but like, I'm going to pretend like I do. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that because there's just more things to do than to watch melee happen. You have to make sure that pools and bracket and everything is progressing. And you obviously want to be social as well. You don't want to be like a, like a, like a weird cyborg of a person going, being like, Hey, get to your setup right now. You're, you're, you're overdue. Come on. We got to keep this moving. I want to go to bed at some point tonight. You want to also socialize too. Exactly. So with marketing and managing social media for Streamland, what would you say are some big things that you've learned throughout that time where it's like, oh yeah, we have a really cool combo. This is gonna this this tweet is gonna do some numbers this time, and maybe it doesn't do as much as you had hoped for. But like, what are some lessons that you learned from, or how, something that you want to talk about that you've seen from doing social media for Streamland? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is just knowing that your content needs to have structure. It's not about the success, it's about the presentation. So you're a local region in a country that has very minimal recognition of their melee players. Canada, Canadian melee gets really snubbed, even though we have some pretty heavy hitters. And I feel like the Slippy era era has really shown that. So your goal when doing marketing even though you want success and traction and engagement, you just want to make sure that your brand and your digital image and algorithm has structure. So what I wanted to make sure was that it was consistent. And over time, I couldn't really keep up with it because uh, it was more so I would I would be highlighting uh, clips and watching the stream as I was TOing and you'd be multitasking. And TOing got so hectic because more players were entering and you would have to focus on so many more aspects of the tournament to the point where I couldn't watch the stream. So what I would do was I would ask people, I would say, uh, if you have a sick clip, uh, you hit a sick combo, a jank moment happened or something, uh, send it to me on Discord or Facebook. And people would send that to me and I would upload it onto our Twitter. But um, I think it just comes down to structure and that's how I propose marketing as a whole. And that's always been my identity. The fundamentals of marketing are key and your representation and your brand presentation is the pinnacle of your success. I like that. I run my my bottom of the Smash Mountain Twitter account, which is super obvious. Like, obviously, I'm doing that. This is a very small operation that I have going on over here. And mostly, I just try to stay consistent. That's, like, my thing. Try to have it all sort of be what you expect to see with less surprises or less of the 50 tweets in a day. And then the next three days is like one tweet. (laughs) Like, try to shoot for, like, some form of consistency. So I'm glad that, in at least in that particular sense we sort of see it in the same way and you have obviously done more of it than I have but that's really cool to hear that you were not only able to 
be able to run the account, try to do this, try to do that. You were also able to delegate to a certain amount because up until now, based on our conversation, it sounded like that the team overall for Streamland and running these tournaments has been relatively small, but you've probably had volunteers, people help set up, tear down and, and then saying to everyone, Hey, you need to, you need to get these clips and get them all to me, network them to me so that I can put them out there for the world to see. So when it comes to delegation, is that something that you find to be easy to do or is it hard to let a responsibility go? Um, it just depends. You have to get a grasp for the community and the public opinion. There are times where people want to help and there are other times where people, uh, where people don't. And that's where you have to read that situation. So normally what I do after every uh, tournament uh, in our Facebook group is I make a post saying, uh, here's the top eight. Thank you everyone for coming out. And then I would say that just if anyone needs uh anyone has any sick clips or you did anything cool, send it to me. Uh, I'll post it. I'll, I'll send it to somebody. I'll try and get us on Peng Boys. You know, I'll do what I can. Uh, and there are times where nobody would reach out. And that's not something where you would mope and be like, oh, my community doesn't care. It's just sometimes it's the timing. Uh, there are times where after the tournament, after you've run an event for 12, 14 hours, I still, I have to go home and I have to open up my laptop and rewatch top eight of that uh, tournament because I want to personally get those clips myself because you had Kage and Legend and Lunar Dusk enter. So you want you know there's going to be some good clips. After 12 or 14 hours of doing a tournament, you're like, yes, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do a little bit more. Just a little bit more. What keeps you going? I don't know. I had to do that. Our first monthly, we had a monthly in... Um, it was summer, yeah, summer 2019. Yeah, it was the summer 2019, last summer before COVID. And um, that's the our biggest monthly, uh, our biggest pop bonus. And we had Ryan Ford, Moki, Nun, and uh, Legends. Kage dropped out last minute. Uh, and that's how K-Word kind of started again. I, I don't want to take credit, but I can give a, a K-Word story because of that. Uh, I'll get into that later. And everyone was there. So this was one of our biggest events. And normally what I do, because I live in a melee house, is I always have a little after party at my place. Uh, I tell people, you know, uh, bring drinks, bring food. Uh, we're just going to drink and play melee and have a good time. So I have I have none Moki, Ryan Ford over at my house and I want to chill. But at the same time, I go down to my room and I'm just trying to go through top eight and see if there's anything noteworthy between the top hundred players. So... I don't know if it was my motivation to just have something stand out for our region or if it's the fact that I'm a workaholic, but there's a balance because I worked hard, worked a bit harder afterwards, and then I went and enjoyed and had some drinks and pizza with uh, the Melee homies. Yeah, but then it's like four in the morning. Like, when do you sleep? I sleep when I want to sleep. I sleep when I'm dead. That's how I function. When I work, uh, whether it's academic or it's uh my work life where I'm making money or I'm a TO, I sleep when I'm dead. When I'm about to pass out, that's when I sleep. There's a there's a there's a great song by Ed Sheeran on one of his EP albums that more or less is saying, yeah, uh I'll I'll sleep when I'm dead more or less. Like that's what it that's what the crux of the song is, which is that's what I'm thinking of when you're talking about this. Very impressed by the work ethic stuff though. Very very impressed. And you, you still get to you still get to have fun. That's that's also something that's really cool to hear. That it's not like I just like working and I'm working very hard and and I don't really see a whole lot of like positive stuff come out of it. But I'll just keep plugging along. No, you get to see positive things come out of it, and that's really cool. 
there's got to be a balance. A big thing is your mental health in life. And I li- and this is a philosophy I live by. It's stupid, but it's just work hard, play hard. You reward yourself. There is nothing more rewarding than doing something you enjoy or something in your spare time with your friends after you've done something. The most satisfying feeling in my life, there are two. Uh, this this dopamine rush. It's running a successful uh, melee tournament that you thought you did a great job in, and then just having an after party and hanging out with your melee friends and drinking and just having a fun time. Or there, you know, you pull an all nighter. Uh, you're up till uh, eight in the morning. You finish a paper, submit it an hour before it's due. Then you go to bed, and then I wake up and I go to the club with my friends or something. You know, there's something so satisfying about having free time. And taking care of yourself once you've finished all your responsibilities and your tasks. Work hard, play hard. That's awesome. I think that you were talking about one of the last regionals uh, monthlies to happen before COVID became a thing. And I think this is a great time to transition into that. So when the pandemic hit, that interrupts a lot of your plans. Like, What were you trying to do leading into the spring of 2020? And what was that time like for you? So the spring of 2020 was interesting because I was finishing my undergraduate degree and I knew it was going to be my last few months in Ottawa. That summer was going to be my finale in Ottawa. I had it all mapped out. I knew what my social life was going to be. I was getting ready for all my TO projects, uh, you know, and then COVID uh, interrupted that. Uh, I don't know what else to say. I I was literally just in the uh, process of uh, setting up all the monthlies for the summer and then it hit, and then I all of a sudden I'm back home uh, with my parents, finishing my degree online. And I'm sure that well, that was must have been very very difficult. My my sister finished her, what was it? Was it bachelor's something? Graduated college. That's that's how I phrase it. I never went to college, by the way, but had to finish online and graduated uh, in person uh, actually uh, a month or so ago <laughs> despite the fact that she was actually done last year still got to have a like a little ceremony kind of a deal anyway i'm sure that for someone like you where you're planning a lot of things even down to the day or the afternoon in advance well in advance that when all of a sudden you're told you can't really go outside you can't be really around people that must have been like the biggest the biggest shock to you that that you've probably had in well or one of the biggest shocks of your life Mm -hmm. the withdrawals were crazy because uh as i stated i lived in a smash house and i lived in a smash house with my best friends and every day it was just every day for two years i played melee if it was for 30 minutes or if it was for two hours i played melee with my best friends and it would just get to the point where one of us knocked on each other's door just said melee and you didn't respond. You just opened your door and went and plugged in your controller. That's that's how it was. So I'm back home. I never was a net player. I only played net play once and I didn't even like it. So I hadn't touched net play ever since. And, you know, my social life's gone. My friends are away. I'm back home on the other side of the province. Uh, what am I going to do with myself? You know, it was it, it put me at a massive halt, but it made me realize that it's time for me to take a break from what I was doing. I didn't play Melee for a long time. I didn't touch it until, I think end of July, beginning of August. And like Slippy was out for a couple months at that point, but I still had no motivation. And I felt so good taking a break from TOing because it was just, I was getting burnt out because 
I was planning ahead and the, the events were getting bigger and bigger and more popular. And it was just a good break for me, in my opinion. And this is when Uncle Sam's maple syrup started to have infancy type moments being being developed, if you will, because there was another TO, not in your specific, in, in like Ottawa specifically, but just in the province or in another region up there named Pino, or the tag is Pino, where you're both you're both starting to talk a little bit here and there. Pino's running an online event and you're going, well, I think I might be warming up to this again. But when did that actually start happening for you? So it actually started because I entered my first online tournament and it was Pino's. So I see all the uh, events between Ottawa and Montreal and I was paying attention to what people were doing in our scene. Uh, and what happened was I saw Pino doing that and I was like, you know what, I'm going to enter see if I could play my friends online, see how that goes. And once I competed for the first time and got absolutely destroyed because I hadn't picked up a controller in like six months, um, I was like, I miss TOing. And what I did was I just watched the rest of the stream and I just saw Pino's potential. And him and I never worked together, but we knew of each other. And then I just hit him up and I said, I love your series I want to make it bigger. You're like the, um, it's like a, I, I am going to be your power up. You don't know it yet, but I'm going to be the mushroom of your he, life. He, yeah. He had no idea. And I'm still shocked. Cause we, I don't, I think we like never even talked in person whenever uh, he came to Ottawa to our events. Um, but he was willing to work with me because he knew I was a TO. And then I guided him because his weekly was, it was called, Pino's Upper East Coast Weekly Series. It was kind of a meme name. And before that, he did another series called The Big Iron. And this was for only four regions. It was, uh, well, okay. It was all of Montreal, Quebec, all of Ontario. And then it was, I think, Vermont and one other area in the States that borders uh, Quebec. But that was, that was it. And I saw these other tournaments and I said, Pino, I can make ours super big because I was un I was grasping how other TOs were functioning. Again, to go back to your point earlier, you said, well, uh, did you take any motivation to Jungle Guy or XTO or that TO? And I didn't. So it was good to kind of understand and gain this knowledge of what TOs do and what's the standard of TOing. And I'm not going to lie, that was kind of appalled because... TOs didn't go to the lengths to market their events like I did. I know my region's only 50, 60 people, and there are people with regions of two, 300 people, but I was just shocked by how these TOs didn't implement these strategies. So when I saw that, I just, I knew if I did what I would do for Ottawa, it would correlate to success. Because you can't quantify success in your own region when everyone shows up. And so how do you nicely tell Pino that there are certain opportunities that are being left on the table and that you want to help with that? I actually can't recall that. I just remember telling him, uh, we need to rebrand your weekly, open it up to everyone else, and uh, it'll work. The last weekly, the final uh, Pino's Upper East Coast weekly series, uh, I told him, I said, watch this. I'm going to do very little marketing and it's going to be successful. And we do marketing and the uh, attendees are like uh, 60 to 70. 
and he was normally getting, uh, you know, 30-ish. So I basically doubled his numbers with marketing. And then also, side note, we got JMook. And that was that was a weekly on its own because JMook's a god. JMook is such a great sheik. He's such a good sheik. But that's what happens. Then Pino liked that. Pino liked the numbers. He saw a lot more support, gaining a lot more followers, gaining subscribers. And then he saw the potential. So what we did was him and I worked together to rebrand. And then he came up with the name Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup. And then we kind of took his tournament structure, current tournament structure, and rebranded it. And then I said, let me do all the marketing and I will make sure it's huge. And that's what it ended up being because even the very first Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup had 77, 76 entrants. 76. Yeah, that was that was great potential. And we kind of strategically put it on American Thanksgiving for a reason. So I don't know if you know, but what was it, 27, 28 weeks ago now, that was American Thanksgiving on a Thursday. So we said, what better time to do it? Because if the uh, Americans are smart, they're not going to go to their families during this pandemic. So they're going to enter this weekly that has no reputation. Because what we did to make this weekly as big as possible was to try and get everyone from our region to sign up who was active during the Netplay era. So they would sign up beforehand. So in the morning of the tournament, we had about 20 entrants. And then it goes to 70. And we're just like, wow, okay, this is the foundation. We have the momentum. Don't drop it. Keep it going. And that's what I told Pino. I said, I'm going to stay consistent. That's my job. And that's what led to uh, my marketing strategies and made uh, our weekly so unique. But then in all things it sort of starts to draw to a close, but there were many weeks where you were getting over 100 entrants. And I did the math. I could be wrong here, but you averaged, sorry, Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup averaged 109 entrants across the, all 25 of the of the events that happened under that, under that tournament series. Does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right, because I, uh, I did list all the tournament numbers, and I'm pretty sure... If I'm not mistaken, either 19 or 20 of the 25 weeklies had 100 plus. And that's and not awesome. A, yeah. And not a single weekly dropped below the number of the first weekly. Nothing dropped below 76 entrants. Super, super cool. I had a specific question about it that I am lost, lo- losing track of here, but the... More or less, more or less. I think what I was trying to get at was what made the event unique and how important. You, yeah, that was the question. How important is it to you to make a netplay series unique, or do you want it to try to look the same as other netplay events? So when you're a TO and when you're kind of getting a grasp of the community, you have to understand that there's norms and there's standards, and there's things that you can follow and abide by, and there's others that you can innovate. So what Pino was doing was he was kind of going live just before his uh, his uh, series before Uncle Sam's and he was seeking the players. And then we kind of turned that into a show because a big thing with TOing is everyone complains about seeking. Everyone complains about who they're going to play, where they're placed. They're like, oh, I beat this person uh, 2-0 close. All, all, all the ex- excuses you could think of, you hear that. So the essence of this preceding show that we did was to tell people, 
you can argue where you want to be seated. We have the data because of smash, uh, smash data, and this is why you're in that spot. So you can try and argue, but this is why you're here, and this is why the other person is above or below you. So we kind of turned it into the show where you come into chat, you can interact with us, and then you could vouch, complain, uh, and meme on others. So it was very entertaining because... Uh, you don't really see many uh, series ever doing that. But at the same time, our viewership was probably uh, half of our entrance. So if a tournament had 100 entrants, you would have 50 people in chat watching the preceding show, which was absolutely phenomenal. It was. It, it would have been... Did you ever play around with the idea of like letting people in on a Discord call and being like, all right, now you can actually state your case for all of stream to witness on this momentous occasion of Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup number 13? Or did you just say, you know what, just keep it in Twitch chat. You can, you can be... We you kept can be... it in Twitch chat, but we always opened the opportunity for other TOs to come in. So, for example, we had uh, Aura. He came in once. Uh, Sidward. Uh, and we've had other people, other regional people uh, who can vouch for people in their scene and, and surrounding scenes. So we, we keep it more to people who actually have a strong knowledge versus those who are opinionated because they're uh, uh, frequent competitors. <laughs> their hearts are, are are mostly in the right place but then the uh they just come in and they're like well i beat that player okay when did you beat them a while ago well i could actually tell ago. you because i have the data right here and uh, I, I you've actually that. lost to them since then i know i love that i had i remember this one person they won the most recent set and then we saw their head-to-head -head was 15 to 1 and we were just like okay <laughs> Like, if you win one set and now you're one win, 15 losses, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you need to make it a little bit more even. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, would be, I would be the kind of person who would lose 20 times in a row. It would be a meme. <laughs> Jesse doesn't lose to somebody 21 times in a row, right? And then I would finally win a set and I'd be like, all right, you can see me above that person now. And you'd just be shaking your head and going, oh gosh, oh gosh. Well, I guess I needed to lecture somebody this week for the pre-show. Oh, that's awesome though. It, I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't think there's a whole lot of other weeklies or online events that do like, uh, hey, come and go after your, uh, come after the tournament cedar cedars in this instance, I guess you and Pina worked on it together maybe, but like you can come after us and say what you want, but really we have the data to back it up. Of course. Yeah, exactly. And then because you're going to be going to graduate school, Windsor university or something to that effect, as I recall, that means that the time had to come to a close. And I guess that Pino has other things that, also are taking up a lot of time. So with the closing of Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup, despite the success, despite of how well it was going, do you want to just talk about the, the whys behind of, of moving on more or less and how sad that is? I mean, it, it, it was depressing. And when we realized that we had to end this series, we were both kind of really upset because it was such a success and it always made us happy every Thursday. But we realize that there's bigger things and more priorities in life. Pino was TO is TOing two weeklies while I was TOing one. On Mondays, he TOs Tired of O2 for new players. Um, and I'm busy doing work and I'm, and I'm doing freelance uh, marketing on the side. And I've just been 
so busy and we just realize that, you know, we have other priorities. Don't get me wrong, being a melee TO and putting on events for the community is such a phenomenal thing to do. And we can't thank the community enough for their support, but we have to focus on life. For myself, it's work and doing my master and getting ready for my masters. And for him, he's got his job. Uh, he's doing tons of events and marketing and he's been doing a lot of streaming with his work. And it's just, we can't put the same amount of energy. So unfortunately we had to uh, pu uh, put the series to an end after 25 weeks, but we made sure that we went out with a bang. And I just have to thank the people that smashed our record with 165 entrants and well over a hundred viewers throughout the stream. And then, and then Aklo creating the greatest melee discourse since the fart, uh, Fox Marth drama, because uh, for all who don't know, when all that uh, Twitter beef started with Aklo's taunting, it was at our series where he went all link, our finale. So that's how we went out with the bang. Winning a 165 person tournament, going all link, all crouching, all taunting. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, and like people are like just creating videos and you're watching like a hugs video talking about is, is this too much taunting? Let's, let's watch these sets. And you're watching a replay of your stream that hugs is watching. I, I, on... I know it feels so good. It felt absolutely amazing. And then all of a sudden you're just, you think I thought I was, uh, our series was going to go with a bang because it was a very popular, very, enjoy a very enjoyable series that, and it was very unique. That's how I thought it was going to go out. I did not expect A. Aklo to come out and attend his first Uncle Sam's and then go all Link. B. Uh, him to taunt and camp and play defensive uh, and time out people. And then it just equated to that. I, w I went to bed thinking, wow, like that was a long tournament because it was Aklo all of top eight. But then I wake up in the morning and I see everything on social media and I'm just like, where did this come from? Where did the community's opinion shift? Uh, it was like more or less, I, I feel like it was just the right timing. I mean, <laughs> Smash Twitter day to day, week to week, will have things that just go through the meat grinder of opinions and tweets and then we move on, right? Uh, I think that was just a culmination of a bunch of awesome things happening all at once. It's a, It's just a little a microcosm of how Melee is as a whole, where it just is chaotic and things are going crazy but it's still melee it's still awesome <laughs> like a link winning a 160 plus entrant tournament is awesome to me like even if even if there's like discourse about how much is too much in regards to like sportsmanship or stalling or whatever discourse came out of it i was like can we not talk about the fact that that a link won a tournament in 2021 that's awesome <laughs> i know it's amazing but all the positives led to the ne uh, some negatives because then in that final weekly, in the morning, we received a bunch of backlash uh, from letting a specific player in. So there were some negatives to the positives, unfortunately. Yes, I saw a little bit of that discourse as it happened, and I didn't know much about you or Pino or the tournament series as a whole. I just saw that Alston Melee, some of the crew of Alston Melee came out to help out with the pre-show or maybe commentary for top eight of the last Uncle Sam's Maple Syrup. And so I was like, I think there seems to be a disconnect here. I'm seeing one thing on Twitter, but I know that Alston Melee is like, they try to be solid in this sort of area. So I feel like I'm missing something. So this is a great time for you to sort of like 
explain. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, give your side of the story or, or, or I'm not asking you to like lay out, like this is not, you're not in a court of law or anything like literally <laughs> yeah. and metaphorically speaking. I just feel like without trying to grill you and without you like getting into every single detail, you can speak generally about it, but like, you know, how do you discover that? How do you react to it? And like, what are the lessons that you learn from it? You know, that kind of thing. So first off, just to go back to what you said, uh, this has no affiliation with Austin Merrily. I know Patty is being uh, very active and trying to enforce people who, who should be banned, who are banned in names to be known. And he's a phenomenal person. Austin Merrily, about halfway through the series, came and commentated the top eight and we've been showing uh, lots of love for them and their content, and they showed love for us in our finale. They gave us a nice shout out on their uh, Twitter, which I'm really grateful for. So this has nothing to do with them. Um, basically, in the in an esports community, uh, you'll meet good people and you'll meet bad people. You'll meet toxic people. You'll meet wholesome people. And when this game is played internationally, all over the world. You're not going to keep up with every person that's going to be banned unless they're a big name, like let's say a top 100 pro player. So over time, every TO makes mistakes because we're not perfect. We run a series and we don't keep up with the uh, with the names because so many people have been banned before the pandemic that we don't know who these people are. Um, with that said, when we host our series, we're always open to feedback, judgment, criticism, advice. We're very open to that. And people have reached out. Hey, it'd be better if you seated this way, you did the show this way, you ran the bracket that way, X number of pools, etc. And then there are other times where people of the community are very supportive and they'll reach out to me in my DMs and my Discord DMs and they will say, uh, hey, uh, Savon, hope all is well. Uh, I just want to let you know this player who entered is banned for this reason, this reason, this reason. Here is the evidence. And then I thank them. And then I reach out to that person who is banned and up and still has, or sorry, who is still currently banned. And I reach out to them telling them that they are not allowed to compete and I am removing them from brackets. So with that said, in our final weekly, the morning of a person by the name of Dom joins the Discord and he has no results on his Smash data, but he tells us in our Discord chat in general uh, hey, I've beaten this person, this person, this person, this person. This is why I should be like a top eight seed at the tournament. He has a ton of top 100 wins. Okay, cool. Keep in mind, there's over 700 people in this Discord. Uh, we run the pre-seeding show. You see that everyone is uh, being seeded. You see all the names, but not one person objects to uh, Dom being on the uh, Smash.gg. So you don't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden, I get a DM of the Melee Online uh, head by the name of Teslik slandering and bashing our tournament series for allowing this person to enter when we had no idea. Uh, that really hurt me and really made Pino and I frustrated because instead of this man being a leader, uh, he decides to be a beta male and a social uh, justice warrior and just tweet about it to get likes. You know, it was it was very upsetting because if you're a leader of a community and a Discord with 10,000 people, wouldn't you be proactive and reach out to a TO and let them know versus spreading false information and painting a negative picture when they've done so much for the community? So I get into this argument with him over Discord DMs 
And then he sends me this doc. And he says, well, as a TO, you should know this doc. And it's a doc of every band player at the exact date and the exact reason. And there's thousands of players who have been banned. And I'm sorry, I'm not a perfect TO, but I'm not going to go out of my way to memorize the thousands of people around the world that have been banned at what time for what specific reason. If you're a community and you're a grassroots community and you care for each other, you will support each other and help each other out. And he did not do that. And it's very disrespectful. And it just really frustrated me. So we apologized to the community and we tried to explain ourselves. And the learning experience from this point is just maybe do a bit of research. I, I get that I could have done research, but if this person was banned pre-Slippy era, there's no reason I can know of that. I know of several, maybe dozens of people who have been banned for East Coast tournaments because of their online toxic uh, negative, homophobic, transphobic, racist, etc. behavior. I know those people because I see it and I witness it. But I'm not going to keep up with each, reg uh, each region in the past. So all I could say to the community was that I was sorry for letting that happen. I didn't know who this person was or what they did. But the problem was that also 165 people, if you knew about it, could have spoken up. And people have spoken up in the past, so what made that night any different? Just seemed to me like it was an emotion that was triggered, and just the first thing to do is to immediately blast on Twitter, more or less. That's my interpretation it's, it's, of it's, it. it. It's unacceptable, because if you're a supportive TO or a supportive member of the community, you reach out and support others. I'll give you examples. We've banned uh, players because of their inappropriate actions, and as soon as that happens... Uh, a, I was never communicating about this mass uh, document for people who are banned, but I reach out to all the TOs I know and I share that information. I say, this is why this person is banned from our series. Here is the evidence. Uh, you do what you want because you're the TO of your own series. I just want to let you know in case that happens again. And that's what I do. I'm not going to go online and flame somebody just to act like a social justice warrior just to farm likes on Twitter. It's, it's unacceptable. And considering this man calls himself an admin and a leader of a community, it's just, it's, it's unacceptable. And I, and I got to thank the community for the support because they really, uh, a bunch of people reached out to me personally and Pino in our DMs and said, they're sorry to see this person do that because we, we don't deserve it. If we knew beforehand of what this person did and we chose to let him stay, I think we do deserve to get uh, flames for our wrongdoing. But in this case where we didn't know, nor was any information ever communicated to us throughout the whole day, I don't think we deserve that negativity and that hate. Something that I try to do for myself is to try to put myself in other people's shoes because this is something that I actually do struggle with. Like I'm not always great at empathizing. So something I've been encouraged to do, just like Jesse, put yourself in in the other person's shoes that you're trying to understand and trying to see their emotions more or less. And like, it is a very interesting exercise, but the, uh, the point of all that without trying to sound lecturing to you or anyone listening is like, um, the one, the one thought that comes to my mind is, uh, if, if, if somebody is constantly having to deal with, with having to deal with like, uh, complaints and, and like accusations or this, that, and the third, in a 10,000 plus d 
Discord group, that might just mean that there's like a, a, a last straw that gets reached that mo that makes anger like the it just encompasses all logical reasoning and you do something that you later regret. Then then the second thought that I had was and you can speak to this part more is my curiosity about like of how not well not how, but like this document that is actually like accessible if you know where to get it, I'll actually should probably ask somebody about sharing it on the description of the podcast episode. But the point being, if this if this is supposed to be accessible at the very least to TOs, like how does it not circulate around, and 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 how do you not hear about it? I feel bad because you've been TOing for three plus years now, and the fact that you didn't have access to that resource until it's already like too late, like you didn't even have the opportunity for it. You, you're going by word of mouth and you're going by what you've been able to witness. And we witnessed a lot of, of a lot of wrongdoing and harm brought out last year in the summer of 2020. But it it's it is it is a very long list when you look at it. And I don't envy any TO for having to account for all of that because it's it seems like it's very, very difficult to do. And I'll remind everyone that it's literally just you and Pino when it comes to the TOing stuff. Maybe there's volunteers, but like you two are the only ones that are like heavily running the entire bracket for Uncle's mm -hmm. Uncle Sam's maple syrup, excuse me. Exactly. It's it's just us. And, and I don't blame other TOs, and I'm not saying other TOs should know this. If you're a TO, your job is to know your region inside and out. So for me, I should know the city of Ottawa inside and out, but also I should know the surrounding areas. So as I became a TO in my region, I knew of all the players banned in Ottawa, in Montreal, and in the entire province of Ontario. Like, for example, I'll give you an example, like the Nightmare Ban. Like, you keep up with those players for and their bands for uh, X, re X reasons. You know that, and you know how to make your scene better from that. But to know other scenes from other regions that are across the... Uh, across the uh, country or in the United States. It's just so difficult. And I don't expect any TOs to know that either. I'm just saying that we are a group of people that are running and keeping this community alive. And we have to sh uh, support each other rather than throw shade at each other. We need to help each other. That's it. And those who don't, it's just, why are you even here if you don't care for other people? If you're not here trying to make the community better, or not, I don't want to say better, but you want to make the scene safe and enjoyable, then you have to work with others. Those who are closed off and arrogant are regressing the community, and that's my belief. And I appreciate you sharing, like, this is this is your perspective, and and I think that there are a lot of things that you're saying that I'm, like, going, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I appreciate hearing what you've had to say, and I'm just like, more or less, I, I don't really want to speak knowledgeably to any of it because this is all secondhand information for myself, but this is firsthand information from you. So thank you for sharing. And to get in the direction of wrapping up, TOing is something that you have said publicly, like in the twit longer that you posted at the end of, at the end of the Uncle Sam Maple Syrup run. This is not over. I have a very busy life at the moment, but this is not over. What does the future of TOing look like for you? The future 
it's honestly dependent on how my master's is going and how work is going. I'll, I'll be doing my master's, I'll be TAing, I'll still be doing freelance marketing on the side. I'm gonna be a busy person, but it's something that I love to do and I care so much for this community that I wanna keep it going. I think the biggest benefit of me being in Windsor is that I'm actually close to the States. Uh, for those that don't know, Windsor, Ontario is the border between uh, Detroit and Canada. So I'm there. So now when I have free time and I'm able to put on events, uh, I can't wait to ha invite Michigan players and also go to Michigan myself. Hopefully when the borders open up, when uh, everything gets better, I just can't wait to meet new people, new scenes. Uh, I think it's a blessing and I'll do whatever I can because I'm not going to put TOing on the back burner. If I have the time and I have the energy, I will do it because that's, that's what's in my heart. That's my drive. So to those who are in Windsor or to those who are in the Michigan area or to those that are in the greater Toronto area, because uh, it's just a few hour drive to, uh, uh, to Windsor, uh, I'm going to be putting on events. Not sure if it'll be on a weekly perspective, but I will make sure that there are regional events in the area that I go to. And also, uh, I want to start messaging people, but I want to do events in the greater Toronto area when I'm back for reading weeks. Because I feel like the Toronto scene is so big and has gotten even bigger because of the slippy era. And I feel like everyone wants to travel around the greater Toronto area to compete. So I have a lot of plans uh, just the biggest variable is timing, but I'm never going to give up on the scene. I'm never going to give up on the community and I want to keep giving the community solid events. And all I ask in return, show up and have a great time and tell me what you expect, because I love catering to the community's opinion. You have shown so much love and support and I could not have experienced, uh, or predicted this to ever happen with Uncle Sam's maple syrup. And to those who entered my series, if it was once, twice, almost every single week, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And if I ever run into you in person, let's talk, honestly. There are so many people I want to thank, uh, but the list is too long. You know who you are. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> I message you all the time. And I show my literal love 24-7. That's who you are. You know who you are. And this community is like no other. So it's not, you know, uh, thank me. It's thank you. Because you're the reason everything happens. A TO puts on an event. It means nothing if the community doesn't show up. Our success and our name is built off of you. That's how this community works. And just, I have no words. It's just that last night, it was just a smile on my face the whole time. It was something that I'll never forget. And it's a series that meant the world to me. That's a great note to end on. Uh, but I do want to make sure that the people who want to find you can know where to go. So where can the people find you, Savan? Um, I do have a Twitter at the Saber five. Uh, that was my previous tag. Everyone called me Savon by my name. So that's why I'm, I'm T.O. Savon, but at the Saber five, uh, that's my Twitter. 
Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, whether it is for events, uh, I would love to get to work more within the world of Smash for marketing and TOing. Uh, I do tons of freelance work. Uh, you can hit me up. Also, my Discord, uh, Saber5, hashtag uh, 0 to 10. You can slide into my DMs there. And I hope to run into everyone uh, at LAN events when everything gets back to normal. And at Streamland SSB, right? At Streamland SSB. That is the Ottawa Broadcasting. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with Ottawa events when they do come back into place one day, because Canada is kind of behind, unfortunately, uh, you can follow us there. Uh, that is kind of our baby. There will be tons of events in the city of Ottawa happening in the near future, hopefully when everyone gets their second dose in Canada. Uh, for what's to come with me, my updates will come there. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was an uh, absolute privilege, and I, I'm glad to be given this time. Yes, thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Saban. Thank you. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Woo, all right, we made it. Thank you so much for having a wonderful time, hopefully, hearing the conversation between me and Savan. Once again, a big thank you to him for coming on to the podcast. And this was my first interview where I thought to myself, maybe ruffles of feathers will happen. Some feathers will be ruffled, I mean to say, because there are probably a handful of people who would hear about Uncle Sam's maple syrup or about Savan, Pino, and all they know, all the only context that they have is the tweets that were made about how they accidentally let in a banned player. So I thought to myself, is this going to be a super big deal? But honestly, come what may, because I think that the the story deserves to be told both ways, right? And Twitter is one place. <laughs> Maybe if anybody wants to come on to the podcast to talk about it from their point of view, that is different than Pino's or Savan's. I guess I'm I'm probably open to that. But what I mean to say is this is not actually the only time that this has happened. So there are several instances of band players trying to sneak back into brackets and into tournaments, into the community in general band players or personalities or whatever you want to say. And I think the best way to go about all of this is to recognize the oh-so-important aforementioned document that I referenced with Savan while we were talking. Now, I'm not going to link it in the description of this podcast episode because I'm still not sure if I'm like supposed to do that or allowed to do that more or less, but... If anyone is listening to this as a player, as a TO, as someone who is in the community and is interested in or wants to know or needs to be in the know, it's sort of like a, I've, I'm viewing it as like a, if you really need it or what have you, then you can just find it or ask for it because a lot of people know about that document and reference it as needed, of course, for running their own tournaments or if you are just a new person in the community. And as you get to know all the people that are in here doing stuff and playing and content creating, making tournaments are tournaments. Awesome. Excuse me. That there are going to be individuals of course, who take advantage of this space and try to push it for themselves and are trying to 
be mean to other people and worse, many worse things. So the point of all that is, is that I feel the need to say that there's another instance of a band player sneaking into a bracket that I know of. There was a Levo event where a band player was actually trying to make it not only into the bracket and compete and try to place well, of course, as one is wont to do when competing in a bracket, but also for an SCL qualifier. And the TOs for Levo did not realize this until Top 8 was starting. And so Top 8 is put onto Leffen's stream and all that kind of stuff. And I believe that Kumar is one of the head TOs or the head TO of Levo. And so as soon as Kumar found out, the person got DQ'd and was like, nope, you can't come back kind of a deal. And and that's what it needs to be. Hopefully the people around the Levo tournament operations or the Discord community for Levo were able to say more or less, hey, this person's actually so-and-so. They put themselves under a different tag or a different Smash GG profile and they're, they're, they're not allowed to play or at least they shouldn't be. And Kumar said, oh yeah, yep. And... Away they went. And that's really all it should be, in my opinion. Do I do I think that anyone who goes to Twitter to drag anyone like Savan or Pino through the mud, if you will, through the Twitter meat grinder, do I think that's the best thing to do? I don't. I, I, I kind of see both sides of it, where it's like, if you are someone who hears about these instances a fair amount, and it wears on you, and it makes you upset to hear about it anytime it happens and then something happens to break the straw over your back kind of a situation and your emotions run high I can kind of see how you get to that spot but then again we're talking about a two-sided situation here and you got to hear Savans today where he was not very pleased with how it turned out and I don't I don't I don't blame him for that position at all because from his standpoint, he's obviously trying not to do any sort of bad thing like that on purpose and is hoping that the community can be a little bit more understanding. But that is where it gets very tricky. You go from a TO who's very familiar with your own region for IRL events, and then we all go to quarantine. And now we're in a situation where you can have an entire country an entire continent like North America, as we're talking about, of course, you're supposed to, what, memorize everything? No, I agree with Savan. Memorizing is not great, but that's where this document is something that comes into handy, where it is hard to see the countless, seemingly countless names of people who have been either suspended or semi-banned, perma-banned for the just the entire gauntlet of negative to illegal fraudulent activity whatever it may be you want to be able to have a resource like that to try to make sure that the people who are entering into the tournament are not people deliberately trying to sneak in but when these sort of things do happen the response of booting them out and saying hey you're not welcome you you are not welcome because you are on this banned list and here are the testimonies from the TOs from your region saying as why you should be banned and such and all that stuff right so you did that's if that's the best thing that can happen that's the best thing that can happen I don't know if if anyone 
can truly say to Tia with a straight face, I expect you to know every single band person because turn around and ask yourself that question. Should you know all the people that are banned? For me, myself, I know that I don't know the entire list, but the point is, is that I have access to it. So like, think about how, for me, this is, this is how I think of it. Let's say that I find along my Twitter travels, because I'm on Twitter quite a bit, that somebody tweets something that's either funny or something that is thoughtful, something that catches my attention, and I go, this might be an interesting person to talk to for the podcast because I have done that before. However, I have tried to, I have tried to do my research to make sure that the person is not like either, well, certainly not on the, on a band list. Right. But I also try to make sure that this is someone who can share positivity and continue to use the platform that I'm offering for overall a wholesome positive message as compared to an overall negative or a truly purely negative message as well. Not that I refuse to talk about it. Hey, we're talking about negative stuff right now. However, when I have a guest on, I would prefer to keep the conversation more more along the lines of, of positive things. And if we get into heavier things, if we get into negative topics, to end on a good note, I think that Matt Dotzeb and I, when we were talking for an interview way back in, I want to say February now, in my first season, you can go check it out. Matt Dotzeb is a legend, by the way. The point is that when we were talking, one of the things that we talked about was the occurrences of the summer of 2020 and how awful that was. And in my head, I'm thinking, we can certainly talk about this. I'm glad that Matt Tazeb and I are currently having this discussion. I think that it's fine to do that. But I said to myself, I think that landing on a positive note to finish off the conversation as compared to saying, well, it do be that way sometimes is not is not the right way to do it. So I remember saying there are things that are getting better by way of diversity, for example. And I brought up the Black Empowerment Melee Inventational that Homemade Waffles and the Rollback Rumble team headed up. And it was just really cool to just have little little examples of that where we hadn't had it before. 2021, excuse me, 2021 was the first year where a Black Empowerment Melee Inventational was ever held in the history of the Melee community. And if anybody wants to correct me on that, they they can feel free to reach out. But this was definitely in the public eye of Melee because Homemade Waffles is very well known in Melee. And it was really cool that he and the Rollback Rumble team headed that up. So shout outs to y'all. The point is, is that I knew that landing on something that was a little bit more positive to finish out that conversation was great. And I tried to do the same with me and Savan. So I hope that you felt that. Not something that I want to always do, to always get into the negative, to try to, like, talking about it to me feels like I'm almost trying to sensationalize it just because we're recording and it's going on a podcast and it's going to be out there for anyone to listen to. That's why I am not sure I always want to be, like, constantly in that space and being like, I will talk about this and people will hear what I have to say and it'll be controversial and sensationalized right off the bat because we're talking about it on a podcast. (laughs) How do you talk about something with the idea of trying to raise awareness and try to be positive in, in amongst all the negativity? 
how do you do that without immediately making it something that is like a clickbait operation or 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 trying to trivialize the real genuine hurt that people have gone through in the context of melee in the community and smash as a whole it's hard to do that but i'm trying to toe that line as best i can for y'all that being said this entire conversation that i've been having with you so far what i would like to do is to offer you as i always do if you read the description of every podcast episode i say this that i try to to be as be as inoffensive wait that's not the right word i try to be as non-offensive as as i can <laughs> gosh the point is is that i'm not trying to deliberately ruffle feathers that's not why i'm here I'm here to talk to people about melee so if you have any feedback for me that you would like to give as a result of this episode this particular soliloquy that i'm delivering monologue that i'm delivering whatever the case may be if you would have any feedback you're more than welcome to reach out at cypher003 on twitter and that's it thank you so much for listening to this episode and i hope that you come back for the next one excited to move forward as always got some exciting stuff coming up that i will be excited to share with you it's not all finalized yet but once it is i will share it with you i'm excited to do that Hope that you come back for that podcast whenever the exciting news gets dropped and whenever we have the next guest on, whenever you get to hear that next. I hope that you return. Subscribe to the YouTube page, that kind of thing. You get it. And I hope that you all enjoy the rest of your day, your evening, midnight snack. All oh, those midnight snacks are always so good. We'll catch you next time.